Hello. It's good to be together to share a passage of scripture. We want today to give God honor, the honor and glory that he deserves as we study. We've given our time today to hear the word of the Lord, and we're going to be in Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12 through 26. These words are going to bring encouragement and challenge to our hearts and minds today. So as we begin, let us pray. Jesus, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You have given us your truth to live by each day. May we listen to your spirit through the writings of the apostle. Be glorified in us, we pray. Amen. You may have noticed the title for the sermon today is, What Does It Matter? This comes from verse 18 of our text, and we're going to unpack more what Paul means there in a few minutes. But I want us to think about that saying and how we use it or hear it in our everyday speech. Inserting that phrase into our stories actually expresses a lot about how we feel about the events of our lives and the outcome that we expect. Consider these options. What does it matter if I had a bad day? Tomorrow is going to be a new one. What does it matter if I try hard? I can never get ahead. What does it matter if we talk about it now? I mean, what happened was so far in the past. What does it matter if I have a problem when so many others are suffering greatly? What does it matter if I show up since nobody seems to care if I'm there or not? What does it matter if I tell someone I care about them? They know how I feel. We ask the question, what does it matter as a way to process what's important and to give perspective to the choices that we make or the life happening around us? But it can also mean that something else matters so much that every other possibility fades in comparison. Sometimes we ask the question not really expecting an answer, but rather to grumble about something that we don't like. Or we ask it because we want our opinion to be made known loud and clear, or even to rationalize a bad choice. Often we ask the question of others so we can convince them of something we think they should be doing. Saying, what does it matter, can help us gauge significance and give us clarity. Processing what matters with others helps us when we get stuck or feel hopeless. Yet some of the examples that I said sound cynical and bitter and resigned. And we always want to pay attention to our feelings when we ask this question. It might be argued that Paul was an external processor, especially in this section to the letter of the church at Philippi. They're eager to know how he is doing. So he explains what's going on. And there are three different scenarios that Paul describes and although he only asks this question, what does it matter, 
once, it can be applied to all three sections, which is how we're going to read it. And in all of them, the answer is the same. As long as Christ is being made known, proclaimed, and exalted, everything else that happens doesn't matter very much. So if you have your Bible, which I encourage you to open, read the word of the Lord with me, Philippians 1, 12 through 26. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having uh, been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Amen. Let's begin with verses 12 through 14, where Paul is explaining in the past tense what has happened to him. And he's basically saying, what does it matter if I'm in prison or out? Most scholars believe that Paul is being held in Rome although he could be elsewhere. But that would mean that he is under house arrest, where he is able to receive visitors and gifts and able to correspond with whomever he wants. As he was awaiting trial, probably before the emperor, he was being watched over by the imperial guard. These were elite soldiers in the Roman army who had the highly sought after position because it included more pay, it had specialized work, and there was a great pension. Paul would have been physically bound to one of them all the time with a short length of chain that ran from his wrist to theirs. Imagine that. They would have heard every conversation that he had with others, every letter that he dictated, every musing he had. Being Paul, he would have turned his attention on them, so they would have gotten an earful about Christ. Being there gave Paul the unique opportunity to preach 
to what literally would have been a captive audience. Hmm. While he does not give many details, and lest we think that this was easy, we have to remember that he was not free to go and do what he most wanted to do. He turns our gaze to the good that came out of this, but we should not think that this was a comfortable situation. Imagine how we would like being chained to someone 24 hours a day like a criminal for preaching about Jesus. He's facing an unknown, possibly terrifying outcome by a ruthless power. This was probably a miserable experience for someone who thrived on being out there in the world. Yet there is no complaining here. There's no asking for pity. There's also no fluff about how the food is or any kind of litany on any parts of the situation that don't matter. So often we focus in on the things that don't really matter, don't we? It takes a lot of discipline to not complain. Perhaps Paul has learned that complaining keeps us tied to what we find disappointing about our lives, putting our efforts into making our situation more comfortable or pleasurable so that we can have what we want. No, Paul is saying that it doesn't matter that he's in jail because the gospel is being spread as a result. Look at all the intensifiers he uses. He says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that he is there because of Christ. In addition, he says, most of the believers have become more confident and are daring to speak the the word with greater boldness and without fear. I have so much to say about this, I can't even tell you. It would be logical that punishing people about preaching the gospel would make them silent. After all, isn't that what punishment is for? Yet, as we have seen, Since the beginning of the church, including today, when so many people are martyred for their faith? The opposite is usually what happens. Seeing Paul in jail made people less afraid and more bold. The gospel thrives where people try to suppress it in what C.S. Lewis might call the good infection. The Spirit of God will always find a way. Jesus changes lives. Jesus brings hope and love and forgiveness. And when people meet the giver of life, they want to tell others about him. Paul is preaching to everyone he sees. And when the brothers and sisters hear about his boldness, even though it means they might be thrown in jail, even though it might mean that they will be killed, they go and do the same. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, look at what is happening. Do you see this? Who cares if I'm locked away from the world because people who might have remained quiet now are going and loudly speaking the truth of Jesus. This means that the church is doing what the church is meant to do. It's not about superstar preachers or evangelists. It's about us letting go of our fear, 
being inspired for how important it is for others to have freedom in Christ and going to tell them. There's a lot of talk about freedom right now. We who live in one of the most liberated nations on earth are seeing a decline in the church. We should stop and think about why that is. Some have opined that it's because Christians in America don't have an urgency to go and preach the gospel, that there's an ambivalence that comes when we don't have to fight for it. Maybe that's true. We also have an individualist attitude about living and letting others live, which causes us to care more about ourselves than others. How much would that urgency change if we were told that we could no longer tell others about Christ? And sometimes our attention on the national freedoms we don't want to lose gives us a different focus than spreading the gospel. The writer Ann Voskamp said something about that this week when she says, what we need is less outrage and more outreach. Amen, sister. I could not have said it better. I hear her point that when we are focused on what we think we are losing instead of what God wants us to gain for his kingdom, we have missed the point. The advancement of the gospel has not come to Paul and those people in spite of his imprisonment. It has come because of his suffering. It has come because his life is hanging in the balance. The term spread the gospel means advance, which is a word used for the progress of an army or an expedition. And the picture is a group of people going through a forest and cutting away the trees and the undergrowth. It's removing the barriers so that those who come later have a path to find the way to the Lord. Paul's detention has helped blaze new trails that he never, ever could have envisioned. What trails are we blazing? What trails are we being asked to open up for the way of the Lord? Let's look at the next section, verses 15 through 18a. Paul asks a question in the present tense. What does it matter if people are increasing my suffering? At first glance, we might think that Paul is talking here about those who are preaching the gospel with mixed motives, those who are hypocrites. And we wonder why he seems fine with it. Yeah, some speak Jesus from envy and others from goodwill. But as long as the gospel is being preached, it's okay. No worries. And we think, wait a minute, that can't be right. That those whose lives are contrary to the truth of Christ have done so much to hurt the witness of the gospel. The end can't justify the means, surely. Now, people in the ancient Mediterranean society often vied for honor. Dr. Robert Gundry says this, Here we see a culture in which honor was highly valued, but thought to be in limited supply, so that people competed for it at the cost of one another's shame. 
apparently not all the Christian preachers loved Paul or followed him. They didn't love his teaching, and they would say unkind things about him or discredit him, hoping to build themselves up in the eyes of other people. Now, with him out of the picture, it's a lot easier to tear him down. Paul, who speaks elsewhere about the importance of pastors having pure motives and good hearts, is saying he doesn't care what people think about him. Graciously, he holds their dignity, and he doesn't gossip about them. So we don't know the full extent of what is happening. Maybe they're saying that he doesn't have the full truth of God or that God isn't blessing his work since he's in jail, which doesn't make sense at all since Jesus suffered even more. The point is this. Paul doesn't try to control what other preachers think about him. It pains him. He says it adds to his suffering like salt maybe in a wound, it hurts, but he lets it lie. There are divisions here in the church, but Paul points to the good. He points to the positive, that even though it's happening, Christ is still being proclaimed. Now think about it. If Paul turns his attention as a leader to the pettiness around them, then those who look to him for truth will also turn and look that way. Those inside the church and those who are looking for the hope in Jesus, those who he knows are watching him before they come to faith. This is an important lesson in humility and wisdom. Detractors are always going to be there. And we who strive to defend ourselves will lose more in the end for eternity if we persist in trying to be justified. Remember, this is about Christians tearing down fellow believers. Sometimes we face more opposition within our family than we do outside of it. Listen to this good quote from a commentary. When fellow Christians tighten the shackles on our wrists... Rather than seeking to alleviate our pain, and when they take advantage of our difficult circumstances to promote their own goals, we should remember Paul's perspective. What matters most is the gospel is going forward. If it is, we should rejoice. It's exhausting to try and manage what others think and say about us. Paul is showing us to keep our focus on the Lord and the work that he has for us to do. People may compete for honor, yet what matters is for Christ to be honored above all. Finally, Paul looks to the future for his last point, seen in verses 18b through 26, when he asks, what does it matter? If I continue to live here, or if I go to be with Jesus. Now, this is a rough one for us to contemplate. Who among us can really say this? We hold on to the world in ways that have profound implications for our spiritual lives and the furtherance of the gospel. We attempt to postpone death as long as possible using whatever means available. And Paul 
shows how he himself is torn. He would very much like to go and see Jesus face to face. This is what he longs for. But he says it would be better for him to remain on earth for the sake of the church. When he says that he's hard-pressed between two options in verse 23, it's another word picture, which means that he's a traveler in a narrow passageway. And there's a wall of rock on either side of him, making it impossible to turn one way or the other. He has to keep moving forward to see what will happen. But the key, of course, to this is in verse 21, where he says that living is Christ and dying is gain. This is similar to other words that we have read from him, that he considers everything rubbish except for knowing the Savior. He says that his old life has been crucified and he only lives because Christ lives in him. He says he's been buried with Christ and raised to new life. His real life is not here, he says, but in eternity. In all of these statements, we see that Paul's whole existence derives its meaning from the Lord. And when we remember this, we know he is not contrasting life and death, but life and life. For Paul, either is a win, as long as Christ is exalted. Paul is modeling something good here for the church, then and now. Regardless of what we want in this life, the point is not what we prefer, but what God wants. This is where real joy is found. His perspective is outside himself. Life means Christ to Paul, as he loves and serves him here. Death also means Christ to Paul, when he will fully see him and know him for eternity. What he wants is for the option that will most advance God's will. As we think about this, we know Paul would say that this tension is not just about him or something that he himself experienced because of who he is. He would say that this posture is something every committed disciple of Jesus should have. He's so clear that this is what God intends for all of us. This is what God's life is about. Are we that clear? Man, we got to ask that question. In the end, we find out that some things matter quite a lot. It made a difference when we showed up. It mattered when we had that reconciling conversation or told someone how much we loved them and cared about them. And every day, we have to decide what matters in life. Paul decided what matters was the redemption and freedom Jesus came to give all people, giving up the life that he thought was so great in order for others to know the kind of love that Jesus wants everyone to have. Paul decided that whatever happened, whether he was in prison, whether other church leaders were tearing him down, even whether he lived or died didn't matter as much as making Jesus known. 
And every scene that he portrays to the Philippian church here has the same frame, the advancement of the gospel. What matters to us individually is evident to anyone looking at our lives. The way our church reaches out also shows our community what matters to us as a body of believers. Following Jesus, accepting his life as our own, means that his purposes take precedent over ours. It has to mean that. That's the point. What mattered to Paul from his own words here is Christ being known, Christ being proclaimed, and Christ being exalted. Now, we don't all have the same work that Paul did, but Jesus tells everyone who follows him that we must submit fully to his plan. And so we all have to ask ourselves, if our wills are aligned with Jesus and his will in the way that they are supposed to be. And so as we live in this time, walking with Jesus every day, let us continue to turn to him for what really matters in our life as well. Let's take a moment in prayer. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.